Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching, and joining me today is Chad Townsend, a halfback for the Cronulla Sharks and member of the 2016 Premiership winning team. As I said, Chad plays for the Sharks, who uh, we've been doing a bit of work with of late, but Chad is also not only a footballer, but also a podcaster. He is the host of his own podcast, The Talk of the Town, in which he typically chats with um, his teammates and other people in and around uh, rugby league to give listeners, I guess, a sense of what it's like to be a professional athlete. And what we've decided to do here is we're just going to have a bit of a chat. We've got questions for each other, and then we're both going to be publishing uh, this chat on our respective podcasts. So uh, we're just going to jump straight into the chat, and we recorded this um, last week, and I kicked it off by asking Chad just to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that have been you know, uh, thrown his way, courtesy of being a professional athlete, but also in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a season like no other. Like I, um, at the start of the season, you know, when you when you do, you know, obviously uh, your preseason and, and you your training, and you know, we haven't spent a bit of time with mm. yourself, and um, you know, you just never would see such circumstances come into play where you know we've obviously gone into a, a, a bubble mm. and uh, I have to undertake some pretty extreme protocols. But hey, we've got the game back up and running. The administration has done a, a tremendous job and um, just thankful to be back playing and doing what I love, to yeah. be honest. I mean, you know, what's, as a, an NRL footballer, you know, people think, you know, oh, how, how good is it? And let's be honest, it's, it's pretty good. But I'm wondering, <laughs> there, must have been, there must be some challenges that have come your way this year, as you say, like no other. But what, what has been the most challenging aspect of, of the, you know, being in the bubble, whether it's on a, a personal level or, or even, a, you know, the professional side of things? Yeah, I think just uh, not being able to, you know, see family and see friends outside of the bubble. Like for us at the moment, we're pretty much only allowed to go to and from training. Um, and if, you know, we need to, on the rare occasion, get some food, we have to order ahead, get, you know, if they can drop it to us and, and things like that. And just not being able to do things, you know, like I normally would. So, for example, I might be able to go up and catch up with a friend or something like that for lunch or, you know, play a game of golf or, you know, just spend some time leisurely, which is also obviously pretty good for your mental state and, and things like that. But, um, you know, spend a lot of time at home and I'm sure, as you know, you can tell, it's uh, gearing up the, the technology game, which I'm sure a lot of people have been doing. I know you've been doing that as well, yeah, haven't absolutely. you? Yeah, absolutely. Just having to... You know, I think pivot <laughs> is the word they use in the corporate world. You know, you've got to pivot and it's like, yeah, what that really means is you've got to throw everything up in the air and just see where it lands and make the best of it. And uh, yeah, like, you know, the work I do, so much of it is interpersonal. So much of it is, you know, based on relationship building, really. And um, if I'm being honest, I reckon when everything kicked off, you know, from a business point of view, I was kind of like, wow, this is going to be a really challenging, you know, point like how, how, do, how do we build relationships um, how do we do the kind of work we do um, through a screen and and I've been pleasantly surprised um, at, at the how we've been able to to do that on a on a personal level yeah I mean you know obviously as I said Sydney and certainly you know 
general population, the public aren't under the same restrictions that, um, that you find yourself in, but certainly spent a yep. lot more time um, with the family. We've, you know, it's been really cool um, hanging out, um, you know, with the kids more than perhaps you would do. Because like, for me, you know, like prior to COVID, a typical week for me, I might be at the airport, you know, three or four times a week, you know. Um, yep. So being around more, um, I don't know. I don't know if the kids or the missus agrees, but for, from my point of view, it's been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, mate. Well, you know, on today's podcast, we've come up with a few questions for each other. So I want to start with, um, you know, the similarities between athletes and business people. You know, a lot of your work is with that, in that corporate space or with you know high performance teams. Yep. But what are some of the similarities between athletes and six, yeah, successful athletes and mm. successful business people? Yeah, and I think that word's the key there. That, that, you know, successful. Um, I think for me, it's just this. The the real similarity is that unrelenting focus on improvement. Um, you know, not settling, not settling even for being the best. You know, not settling for recognizing well, I'm at the top of my game. Uh, be that sporting wise or um, in, in, the, in the business world, but actually looking at what's next or looking at how might we do things differently. And, you know, success looks different at different times of people's career, you know. So I remember the first time um, I met you and the, and the boys down at a camp in 2019, you know, we were talking around there about how do, how do you improve, you know, and you've got people in there who are literally on a, you know, a train training to win a contract um at the front and and gals at the back you know and clearly gals was i mean it, it was came gal was just as intent on improving as mm. the as the young rookie but of course gal couldn't improve in the same way as the young rookie does he can't get quicker i mean he might be able to get bigger who knows but you know he can't get quicker um <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh, and and so it's not just about doing things you've always done better faster stronger it's about looking at new ways to be your best new ways to add value to in the business world your clients or your or your the team that you lead and in the sporting arena you know how do you add value to that team your teammates um you know the fans whoever it might be yeah yeah beautiful all right what, what are some of the main assets of successful teams um there's a there's a few um you know and again if we let's look at it i reckon in the sporting world you know i think um here's here's the biggest difference should we say between um, the highest performing team and um, let's say teams who perhaps don't live up to their potential and I think what it is is it's the ability to be honest with each other and that sound might sound a little bit um, soft but one of the things I've noticed and, and you may have seen this with different teams that you've played with mm -hmm. you know the idea that um do you feel you can be genuinely honest about yourself, you know, um, about your your areas for growth, how you're feeling, um, the dynamics within the room? And can you feel honest? Can you Do you feel you can be honest with your teammates? So I was working last year, I won't say where, but a, a halfback in the NRL came up to me and said, you know, the biggest difference between this team and other teams that I've played at is I can't tell anybody anything in this team. Like if I get onto the forwards because they're not, you know, they're not playing the ball quickly enough or they're not getting to the right post or whatever, he says everyone goes off him. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and for me, I was like, I was like, I was 
honestly like blown away that this household yeah. name would be saying to me he can't tell his forwards um you know the job that they need to do and, and the manner in which they need to do it and and for me that then builds on to well how, how on earth can a collective group of people possibly be their best if you can't have those honest conversations if you can't separate the personal from the professional you know they took it as a personal attack when really yeah, all we're yeah. saying is mate i just need you to get there so we can run this play left you know but it was it was fast i found that fascinating and he was comparing yeah. it to another team we'd played at where it was just it, yep. it, you know just we call it as it is and we're doing it because we all believe in the vision that we're you know and that that's the second big thing we all have an agreed vision and an agreed set of expectations so mm. if someone step you know if someone isn't pulling their weight it's not like you know we don't want to talk about it. no we absolutely talk hey mate we agreed on this at the start of the season you know pull your head yeah, in I, or step definitely. up or whatever it might be you know <laughs> I, th I think yeah for me like you know there's there's teams in the NRL who have habits of winning mm. and uh, successful, you know, culture and an organisation which starts at the top. And then there's there's other teams that have, you know, a poor culture, poor organisation, and continually, you know, uh, below average, you know, constantly don't make the finals. Mm. And you know, reading for someone who's obviously, you know, looking from the outside in at both of those organisations, it's I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? Mm. What's the difference between the two of them? You know, I find that super intriguing. Yeah, and and culture is that word that gets thrown around, you know, so much. And what defines, you know, a good culture or is is essentially does it? A lot of people will say, you know, you've got to buy into our culture, right? So you got to, we, this is our culture. You've got to buy into it, and that works so long as the culture is really clearly defined. So if I look, if I not that it'll happen, but if I get signed for the Melbourne Storm, I know what I'm walking into. If I get signed for the Roosters, I know what I'm walking into. Do other do other clubs have that kind of stability? And if you, as you're suggesting, if you look, and I'm, you know, it's certainly not for me to suggest, but you could, you only need to look at the headlines to sort of say, well, do other um, teams, do other organisations have such a strong thing? And if they don't, then what they need, they, they basically need to take a moment and say, okay, well, if we haven't got a culture for people to buy into, who are the people that we have now? Rather than looking, you know, often we look back to yesteryear, oh, this wouldn't have happened in the 90s, this wouldn't have happened mm. under such and such. Well, that's gone, mate, you know, and, and to keep to keep on going over that, does nothing. it does nothing, just to be clear, yeah. except create more headline fodder. What they need to suggest is, okay, well, these are the people we have now. How do we now co-create a culture with this group? Because trying to get this group to buy into some nebulous culture, which, if we're being honest, doesn't exist. Because if it did, we wouldn't be having these conversations. Um, is is really all it serves to do is just create more drama. And so, yeah, it's it's really interesting because if you ask people what the culture is, can they tell you? You know, what do they stand for? What are the absolute non-negotiables about being part of this group? What you know, what's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Um, and what do we stand for? Uh, th those are all questions that you can't make up the answers to on the run you know you need to take time and do some work on that um, and not just assume and I think that's one of the biggest issues that 
not just footy teams, every group of people that ever come together, there are so many assumptions. We just assume that people understand what it means to be a professional. We assume that people understand what it means to buy in and to do their job. But every day, every single day, people are having dramas because people don't <laughs> don't do those things, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, beautiful. That was a great answer. I've got next question here is um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to take either the next step in their career or and whether that be sports or non-sports you know want to yeah. want to level up want to you know strive and, and you get better yeah um it sort of touches back to that first one about when you know um talking about who's the successful you've got to be ready to learn um what i mean by that is you know a lot of the time when people take that next step. So let's say, I mean, the most obvious next step is when you have been working somewhere and then you get promoted. That's an obvious next step, right? And one of the things that is really important to recognize is that the moment you get promoted, the thing that got you promoted is no longer the thing you need to do, right? So in a court in a business world for example you know let's say someone's really good at sales right they're awesome at sales they make their targets they're a gun but then they get promoted to be head of sales all of a sudden they're not responsible for making sales they're responsible for the people who are responsible yeah. for making sales but what often happens is people just we again we assume that because you're good at sales you're going to make a good leader of a sales yep. team um, we assume that a good footballer is going to make a good captain of a football team we assume that someone who um, you know we're seeing this again around different clubs you know we'll bring such and such in as a mentor to to and 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 we just assume that you know what they previously did is really what we're asking them to do and it, and it, and it's not and so if you're interested in taking that next step whatever it means you have to come at it with a i guess a real sense of humility that yeah of course I'm good because I, if I wasn't good I wouldn't be either being identified as taking the next step or I wouldn't be feeling in myself to take the next step so of course I'm good but the stuff that I now need to do, that's all going to be new for me. And so being open to, you know, going looking for feedback and, and asking people to point out what is it that I'm not doing as well as perhaps I might. And and for someone who's been successful, that can be a massive challenge, right? You know, you'll see this in, in teams again that you've played with, that gun kid who's come through the ranks and all of a sudden they hit first grade and all of a sudden what got them to first grade isn't what you need to do in first grade anymore. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to do everything on this, on the park, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, that, that for me is one of the biggest things. Just be, just be ready to learn and be open to it, you know, and, and yeah, revel, definitely. revel in that process. And I think if I could just add on to that, I think, you know, for example, it was like, when you know we won the premiership in 2016 and and what we did in 2016 was not going to win us the premiership in 2017 nah. and it's like if someone an nrl player wins the daily m award you know last year they're not going to be able to do the exact same thing and win the daily m award this year so i think it's you know when you're talking about an, an athlete's world it's continuing to, to evolve to adapt to the situations to adapt to your game and how can you be how can you challenge yourself to um, be better and move on to the next thing and and grow as a person and 
as an athlete. Yeah, and that's that's actually a lot of it, Chad. There, you know, when you say you've got to grow as a person before you grow as an athlete. You know, so much of growth is ego based. Do you know what I mean? So, yep. something like let's use a real simple one. You know, all of a sudden the coach says, "Mate, I need you to play on the left this week." You know, it's not uncommon for some players just to think, oh, you're trying to stitch me up here. You know, I'm a right-sided <laughs> player. I've been a right-sided player since I was under sixes, you know. And and what we have to do is, you know, we literally, if you want to grow as an athlete, you have to leave your ego at the door. And, yep. you know, because the moment I walk onto the field resenting the fact that he's put me on the left, you know, and maybe that's compounded by the fact that I'm up against the gun player, you know, in the comp who, you know, and it's like, so now I'm tackling with a different shoulder. Now I'm doing this, that. It, the moment I walk onto the field with any, any remnants of that left over, I'm done. I'm done. You know, so the, the, growing as a person, that, that humility, that leaving the ego at the door, you know, if it's good for the team, it's good for me. That really is the mentality that. that, you know, we want to be be grow be be sort of carrying with us and that often means we have to do things we don't we don't want to and and it, it's in those moments chad where we grow you know if if we're always doing things we love and if we're always doing things we're good at and if we're always doing things where people give us heaps of pride oh, mate you're so good you're so amazing love it then my best guess is that very few of us will grow and very few of us will achieve what we're truly capable of in any walk of life Love that. Well, I've got one more question, and it's about uh, my teammate, yep. Sean Johnson. Yep. And I'll before I do ask the question, following the question, we'll have a general chat about the Sharks yep. in our season, if you don't mind yeah, as well, Dan. Because for, for people that might not have known, uh, Dan has spent a little bit of time with, with our squad and our team um, over the last few years and, and sort of, you know, build a, a really good relationship with some, with some of our players. But, you know, this one to me was probably – uh, one of the really good examples because Sean, who's obviously, you know, uh, massive in New Zealand, a really great friend of mine and, and, a, and a teammate as well, came to us last year, um, you know, struggled to get on the field with with a little bit of injury and got criticised with form. And um, in the off-season, you know, came back early from, you know, his duties with New Zealand, really worked on his body and getting his strength right. And also he, his mental game. And I know he gave you, you know, a really good rap in the media not that long ago, yeah. um, Dan. But, you know, what are some of the areas that you've worked with Sean, you know, so far throughout the season? Because I know that you touch base with him and speak to him quite regularly. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I want to be clear, like, I, I never talk about who um, I work with. Uh, my mates didn't know that I was working with Sean until that article came out. And, <laughs> and, um, and you know, so th th that's one thing. So I, I'm not really going to get into specifics, if that's all right, because what Sean yeah, and that's I... Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, what totally Sean and fine. I chat about is really between Sean and I. But generally Definitely. speaking, generally yep, speaking, yep. and you, you, I'm sure you'll be able to, you know, um, make the connections with what you're seeing because, um, you know... The first thing, the first thing, and you know, is making it clear that um, the only person who stops um, Sean Johnson from playing well is Sean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he is a gun, right? You know, it's such a privilege for me to to work with someone who is, let's be honest, one of the best in the world at what he does. Um, so, um, yeah. So really, it was about helping. Sean and and anyone you know if if someone's out of form in any it's it's helping people just break all the noise down that invariably 
comes with being out of form. So the minute that you know you start doubting yourself, the minute that you feel other people are doubting yourself, are, are doubting you, the minute you feel that people maybe aren't trusting you um, to do what it is that you kind of in the cold light of day you know you can do, um, you know you, you you're really going to limit um, what happens. So. Yeah, a lot of it was basically just getting back to well, what is good, you know, what does good look like, um, yep. and um, really working hard on on not over privileging the noise, you know, because because he's, you know, it's a because Sean's who he is, you know, he he gets he gets more than his fair share of um, media attention, you know, like he's always the player to watch in games. And, you know, um, if he makes a mistake, it's replayed three or four or five times. Um, if he does something good, it's replayed four or five times as well. But it's about just not over, not overprivileging either the good or the bad and just really trying to stay true to um, knowing, working out what works and, and, yep. It's that phrase that I've used ad nauseum with you boys, but the idea of, you know, just controlling what you can control. Um, yeah. And we can't control, at the end of the day, we can't control what other people think of us. We can't control what the headlines are going to be. We can't control if the other team plays better than us. But what we can do is control how we respond to all of that. And so, um, yeah, just really boiling it down to make it really simple. So when they run out there, it's, perfectly clear what we've got to do there's no 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 doubt there's no doubt and and you know I, yeah. <laughs> I love that and and you know on the subject of Sean you know in uh the game on the weekend when we played Parramatta Sean in absolutely horrendous conditions bucketing down the field would have been extremely heavy uh and chased down <laughs> and tackled Mitch, Mitch Moses yeah. over the sideline and just his reaction when he got up and he was you know pumped up and getting into the crowd yeah. and you know, that's, that to me just speaks volumes about, you know, where he's at at the moment yeah. and the confidence that he's got. And, and even, you know, it tr transpires across to the, the vibe in our team at the moment. We've got a very close-knit group of boys. And, you know, I know that you've, meant, you've met and spoke to a lot of our players, but, you know, we're, we're trying to create that tight-knit group. And I think it, it, it's a lot to do with, with our leaders and our leadership group. And we, and we meet quite regularly and talk about these things, about how we can – how we can bring the boys together. But I thought that was a great example of what our team is actually about at the moment. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it really um, exemplified the work that he's done. You know, like, um, yeah, he, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's leading for try assists, he's leading for, uh, you know, forced dropouts and all, but that, that effort play, you know, yeah. uh, as you say, in those conditions, you know, and then also the kicking side of it in the second half, yep. you know, like, if Sione gets on the end of Moise's kick at the end, you know, like every every paper's running with the the, the masterclass, right, of, of wet yeah. weather football. It's just that bit of luck. But, yeah, that, that chasing down of Mitchell there was, um, yeah, I mean, that for me, when I saw that, I was like, oh, how good's this? Because it just, it, it showed that it was the, the grit, the resilience, you know, that's all the mental side of things that I'm interested in with, with SJ, but, the, but is... The physical side of it. I don't think he makes that run last year because I think mm. he was worrying about his hamstring last year, whereas yep, this yep. or whatever you know. But this year, it seems like everything's fingers crossed. Everything's uh, you know in in place for him. So yeah.
Yeah, beautiful. All right, well, there's all my five questions. Yeah, Dan, nice. have you got, a, you got some questions for me now? You know I do, mate, you know. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I already touched on the, um, the, the, the challenges, but I wanted to, um, you know what, I, I actually want to touch on sort of like three cliches which are sort of bandied around athletes, right? So the first one is, you know, the one where athletes or, or in general, you know, they say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to give 110%, you know, and, and all the maths nerds are going, oh, that's physically impossible, right? But <laughs> but but what I'm curious to hear is, you know, um, who is somebody who, when you look at them and what they've achieved, whether it's currently, you know, you, you're actually seeing it as it happens or looking back at a career, you look, you look at them and go, wow, like, how did you do that? You got so much more out of yourself than yeah. anyone would have thought of you, you know, prior, you know, I guess it's almost like those unsung heroes type thing, but you look at someone and you just go, wow, they, they've, they got every you know, extract of ability out of their body, perhaps even more than anyone would have thought possible? Yeah, look, uh, it's a great question. And a few come to mind, but the one who probably springs to mind the most was uh, throughout my time when I was at the Warriors. I was, you know, I was only 22, 23 years old, and I was fortunate enough to sort of become quite close with Nathan Friend, yep. um, who ended up playing over 250 NRL games. And... One thing that when I got there and I saw with Friendy was just his work ethic and he's just, uh, you know, intolerance to take any crap from anybody. Yeah. And, you know, if if he didn't have that work ethic, I just don't think, I don't know if he would have got as far as he did. And for me, you know, I wanted to be the fittest in the team. That's what, that, was my, you know, that was my thing when I was younger coming through. You know, I was obviously one of the smallest being a halfback. Mm -hmm. And for me, running and f being fit was what I wanted to do. So, you know, I'm 22 years old and, and Friendy would have been, you know, over 30, they say he would have been 32 at the time, mm -hmm. 10 years older than me. And I just, I just couldn't beat him. <laughs> I just couldn't get him. And, you know, I thought I was fit yeah. and, you know, we do our tests and Friendy would come first and, and I would come second. And, you know, there was a time there where we were doing an, a, a time trial and for two laps I was beating him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I hear this and he's just powering past me like Melbourne and, he beats, <laughs> and, he, and he beats me. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was I was very lucky that I got to spend two years with him and just to see that work ethic and what's required to play week in, week out NRL at a high level yeah. and get the most out of your career because, you know, careers last, you know, say 10 years, right? But it's... That's if you're lucky, right? Yeah, That's if, if you're, you're lucky. lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. But stuff doesn't happen overnight. Mm. It's a, it's a you know, routine. It's building stuff over time that continually you get the best out of your career and you end up playing, you know, 250 games, which... um you know, I was lucky to play a small part of, but I'm you know super thankful of what he taught me. You know, during our time together. Yeah. How many games are you up to? I'm up to one, just under 180 yeah. at the moment. Okay. So currently on the sidelines at the moment yeah. with my torn calf. But hopefully, I'll be back in a few weeks' time. But um, it's feeling good at the moment. I had my first run yesterday, yeah. so you know, I, I, I noticed like you went some crazy run of games um, without injury. Um, yeah and what was that it was like 100 and what 108 108 so that's crazy what's that that's like five seasons worth of football or for at yeah. least four with finals thrown in no yep. injuries D do you think and you know question without notice but do you think that maybe you've picked up is it just bad luck you've picked up injuries or or is it due to due to the 
you know the staggered kind of way preseason might have been this year when you do all your you know getting your body ready for the season yeah definitely look it's a good question and something you know we've spoken about quite regularly and obviously you know you you have you don't have to look far and you, and you sort of see in the NRL mm. that there's been an increase in injuries it's and crazy, yeah. and I think you know that COVID break obviously was was pretty difficult and for me, I look back on it, and I was able to do all the training necessary. Like I had a gym at home, and I was able to run, and that was my number one priority because that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to come back ready to go in shape, and um, I just think with my calf injury, I, I, I what I thought was a cork mm. wasn't a cork, and it and it turned out to be you know something a bit more significant, but. You know, I think it's just a bit of luck, to yeah. be honest. So I obviously had a really good run there where, you know, for a few years straight. And, and for me, it was just about cutting, or copy and paste my preparation, my mm. physical, my mental, and my tactical preparation. It, it hadn't changed for five years, Dan. And I was just super comfortable. And, and it got to the point where when I missed that first game, it actually felt really weird not to prepare for a game. I woke up on game day and I was like, oh, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any anxiety i don't have any nerves that game day feels i just it felt a little bit weird to be honest so that's interesting so i mean because i mean that's a setback you know getting injury is a setback and you know another cliche that we hear thrown around is that setbacks are great opportunities to learn um i'm wondering um if if you're up for it to share like a setback that you have learned something about yourself from you know that you sort of can take with you um you know through your life yeah, definitely. Probably, you know, I've spoken on it maybe a few times, but the biggest setback for me was probably in the 2016 semifinals. In the first semifinal, I got taken off the field with about 20 minutes to go. And we're playing Canberra, and we ended up winning the game. And it was an amazing win, like an amazing performance for us. We got the week off, then we're, at, we're going to play the Cowboys in uh, to get into the grand final. Yep. And I've told this story a number of times before, but for me, it was you know a time, a chance for me to be team first and be happy for our team. And I remember after the game, I didn't go on the bus. I went back home with my wife, and I spoke to my manager on the phone, and he rang me and he said, "Oh, mate, how you feeling?" I said, "Mate, oh, you know, I'm I'm ticked off. I'm obviously upset. I you know didn't want to come off the field and." Um, then anyway, he said to me, what have you got on tomorrow? And I said, look, we've got recovery like we always would. And he goes, mate, you walk into that recovery session with your chest out, shoulders back, a big smile on your face, and you just carry on like you normally would. And at the time, I was like, oh, man, that's so hard for me to do right now. So I woke up the next morning and I walked into recovery Massive smile on my face. Did all my normal handshakes that I would with all the boys. Hey, you going, boys? Oh, how'd you pull up? You know, just try to be happy because I didn't want to walk in there and and be down and them to be talking between each other and going, oh, geez, Chatty's upset. Look at him, geez. You know, for me, it was we just wanted we had an, an amazing win. One of the looking back on it now was a win that set us up to win the grand final. And the next day, I first thing woke up. Quite early, went into Flano's office at about seven o'clock in the morning and sat down in front of him and said, looked him dead in the eye and I said, mate, that'll never, ever happen ever again. I guarantee it. And um, he just looked at me and he's like, wow. And we hashed it out and he sort of said, he said his reasons and, um, you know, he just told me that he was, he was his halfback and, you know, things weren't going to change. He just needed to make a decision for the, for the team. And 
And then that, that two weeks was probably the longest time of my life preparing for a game in that Cowboys game. But And then that Cowboys game was was one of the best games of my career. Yeah. I scored a try. I, I put Luke Lewis over for a try. That was one where we, you uh, you went out to a good lead. You knew you yeah. were going to win, right? So you could we knew really we were going to win. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I was actually – I was a little bit emotional after that game because I knew, like, I could have gone either way. I could have gone down into a hole or I – would have thrived and I was just so proud of the way I reacted to the adversity I knew there was talk throughout the week in the media I knew the opposition coach like looking back on it now mm. I didn't at the time but I've seen articles where he was talking about me mm. and how much pressure I was under but you know I was just so super proud of the way I bounced back and I've actually got the photos up in my house yeah. uh, of me getting taken off in the Canberra game. There's a photo of me on the bench. And then I've got a photo of me after the Cowboys game just because it was such an important time in my career. And, mm. you know, I, I, um, I'm just, I'm just, I wouldn't change a thing, Dan. Yeah. I would, if I could go through it again, I 100% would. Yeah. It was a great opportunity for me to grow. And w yeah, so specifically, like, what, what, so what is that now that you take forward? Or what, what's, what do you pass on to a younger halfback, say, who, gets pulled off and is kicking stones versus mm. you know what what what's that yeah what's that element that you've, you've you take with you look I, th I think it's you know and this is something that i know you push to us quite regularly it's about focusing on the things that that we can control mm. and to be honest you know that that's kind of the way i live my life i, I focus on on what i can do and you know it's it was about bouncing back and doing it in a big way. And and I had the confidence within myself. I, I'd been doing this my whole life. Mm. So I guess for someone who, you know, potentially might get dropped, you know, in the future, it's about going back, focusing on the, the little things, the simple things. What? Why are you a good footballer? What do you do well? What aren't you doing at the moment that is causing you to not play your best? Mm. And really, just have a have a good look at yourself. Have a good look at your game. Uh, I actually don't mind watching, you know, some highlights, some old highlights, and things like that, just to spur on, you know, the confidence. Yeah. But um, I think it's it's easy for someone. It's an easy measure of a man to to measure them when things are going well. Mm. But when things aren't going well and things are not going your way, how do you bounce back? Mm. Do you stay in that little hole, or do you fight your way out of it and say, "This is what I'm really made of." Yeah. And and how important do you think was sitting down with uh, Flano face to face and sort of because again another option could have been try and avoid his eye contact but you know and, and <laughs> you could you could easily try yeah. to skulk around the training or whatever yeah oh oh definitely and don't get me wrong I was yeah you know, so nervous walking into his <laughs> office that time but again like you know in life we always there's a time where we, we have those conversations where we're like, oh, shit, I don't want to do this. Or I've got a missed call from this person where, oh, I just, I don't want to ring this. I don't want to deal with it now. I don't want to ring him back. I just, you know, and it happens quite often. And everyone's got that feeling where they don't want to do it. Mm. It's going to be tough. But for me, when I get that feeling, I make sure that I do it straight away. And I created a habit of myself doing the things that I don't like doing. Yep. And that I've found helps me get on the front foot with things I need to do and to live my life and to get over setbacks. I've found that it has really helped. Yeah, and, and that's a really interesting um, tactic to, to do is to rather than trying to put off or wait for the right moment or, or whatever, but actually, you know, there's, um, there's a really cool book called Perform Under Pressure by um, Kerry Evans. He's the 
All Blacks mental skills coach. And he actually, in that book, talks specifically about finding the things that make you uncomfortable and, and doing it. And it doesn't need to be some, you know, it doesn't mean you don't need to go and climb a mountain. It means you need to go and make that call to the person who you, you know, yep. you're putting off. And, and that's how you develop that mental toughness and that resilience. And even though it might seem like a small thing, it's kind of like, you know, that the gradual, um, you know, layering of that um, ability to, to get out of your comfort zone. You can then apply that in, in a variety of scenarios, be it sporting, professional, personal relationships, you name it. So yeah, it's quite interesting to hear you specifically say that because that's yeah. uh, it's actually <laughs> well, I've actually I actually worked a little bit with Kerry uh, at the Warriors. Oh, we, course, we spent right. a, a, yeah. a little bit of time together yeah. over the, uh, the last season I was there. Yeah. But um, well, I reckon anyone yeah. um, who's interested in in performing, you know, at their best, particularly under pressure, you know, that book it's called Perform Under Pressure. Definitely worth um, uh, digging out uh, from somewhere. It's 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 an easy read and it's got some really cool. Um, yeah, strategies and, and techniques to use. All right, so my final cliche that I want to <laughs> sort of go on is, uh, you know, you guys are all role models. You're all so inspirational, you know, <laughs> and, and you are. I'm, I'm being a bit yeah. flip, right? But I'm <laughs> curious as to um, who do you find? Well, uh, who, yeah, who, whether it's role models, but who, who, do, who inspires you or who inspired you coming through the ranks um, and, and maybe who continues to inspire you today? Yeah, look, I, I've... I've been a massive sports fan my whole life, and obviously I've played rugby league since I was five years old. But you know, I've I've played a number of sports, and for me, one one person that really has stuck out, and I guess ever since my teenage years, and someone who I really admire, he, he's actually not a rugby league player. It's uh, Roger Federer. Oh, yep. And the reason why I love Roger is the fact that. You know, not only he's obviously got a successful career and he's won a number of Grand Slams and a number of titles, but the fact that when he does win, he, you know, expresses a, a lot of emotion and he's not afraid to, you know, I guess shed a tear on the big stage. And for me, I, I, I really enjoy watching how real he is mm. and just to me, the way he played the game and how he's evolved his career, especially from early on being like a little bit of a, a hothead yep. to, to growing into this guy who's just, you know, you'd never ever see him say anything, you know, controversial or, you know, very, very straight, very presents himself really well. Um, I just love the way he handles his business. So, mm. you know, I, I definitely admire Big Roger yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I particularly like as he's coming towards a you know, the end of his career. I'm not writing him off, but as he comes towards the end, you know, <laughs> obviously uh, these younger players, they are starting to, you know, get over the top of him a few times. But what yeah. I really enjoy about Roger is that when he's asked about that, he he he, he revels in that. You know, he, he, he wants to address his game yep. so he can keep with these guys, you know. And, and I think, you know, you can easily compare Roger to other players tennis players who they're not that keen on that they're looking for other excuses they're looking for bad line calls they're looking for injuries they're looking for you name it but Roger typically just owns it he goes yep you know um, I'm thinking of Tsitsipas I'm thinking of uh, Dimitrov yep, yep. you know these guys have got relatively good you know records against them Tsitsipas in particular you know and he's down yeah he goes yeah I can't, I'm struggling on his serve I'm struggling on this aspect that's something I'm going to go and work back on and again, if we go right back to the start of our conversation, you know, it's that relentless desire 
to improve. Roger can't get mm. quicker. Roger can't hit the ball more powerfully, but he can still improve aspects of his game so he can continue to improve as a tennis player. And, and for me, that's that's where it's at. That's why we speak about Roger in the yep. way we speak about him, right? Um, Definitely, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got to ask you, this is my last one to throw a toss-up to you, and it's not a cliche, but I've, I've spent a bit of time with your boys and... As, as you know, well, you know, because you were around them every day, there's some proper <laughs> characters in that in that uh, change room. What yeah. I'm interested in, you can out them now. Who's the biggest pest in that Sharkies team? Who's the one who's always oh. up to something and just seriously drop off, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. There's, it's a cast of thousands. <laughs> oh, it is, Dan. There's, there is. There's a cast of thousands. There's always something going on yeah. in our sheds. And, and that's what I guess what people... Uh, probably don't see. Obviously, they you know they see us for eighty minutes every single week, and but there's so much time that we spend together in you know in the sheds, around the mm. sheds. You know when we're not under these protocols, we're able to obviously go out and spend some time together at lunch and and have coffee and and whatnot. But you know at at the moment, I'd probably say, uh, gee, someone like Andrew Fafita is a, <laughs> is a pretty big pest. He's, I bet he's that shock everyone. <laughs> he's got the loudest voice. Yeah. Like you can hear him from a mile away. He's always up to something. You know, I'm not sure if you've seen, he put out on his social media oh, the other day. He, the he put a ball. Yeah, the kick. He put it on oh. the dead ball line and, and hit it out in the wind and it came back yeah. and he's bloody sharing it with everyone and telling everyone about it. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's doing pranks in and around the sheds. But there's been a few <laughs> I've spent over my career. Uh, oh, a couple that come to mind, uh, Jason Bakuya, yep. uh, Kurt Capewell, you know, uh, are both big, big pranksters. But I, it's probably times like this where, you know, guys that are, you know, having a bit of fun and in and around the sheds that I'll look back on, yep. you know, when I retire in, in however many years' time, that they're the precious moments and, you know, the where you really bond together and uh, I guess that's what people don't see yep. a, apart from ath as athletes, yep. so... I think, you know, it, it's you're right. And, and you know, I said, oh, I was shocked. But I, I should also say that I reckon um, Andrew's probably one of the nicest blokes I've met. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, which is, <laughs> oh. it, it, and, and I guess that's an interesting one because, you know, a lot of, pe a lot of people have some pretty ill-informed, blinkered views of footballers in general and specifically certain characters in football. And, and yep. you know, one thing I often share is that, and, and this surprises people, but as, as a group of people, footballers in general tend to be the ones who en masse come up and thank you for a session. They shake your hand, they want to, or they did before COVID, you know, but they, or they'd want to ask more about things. And you don't, as, and I say as a whole group, that tends to happen as opposed to just one or two keen beans. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I, I, I just, I think it's important. That's, I think, why, you know, I particularly enjoy the stuff that you and Sean and other players are putting out, you know, using the socials to sort of, you know, your people first, right? Your fathers, Definitely. your fathers, your partners, your, you know, and, and just that you happen to be good at footy. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's um, important to remind people of, of that. And this podcast, you know, it gives people a little insight into who you are and, yeah, yeah so. definitely. And I think that's what was one of the main reasons why, you know, I use social media the way that I do, especially like, you know, using YouTube to put out videos and the podcast because, you know, I've had some really, really good feedback and, you know, we are, like you said, we are people first mm. and, you know, just like anyone else, like I've got a wife, I've got children, I go through the same troubles as someone with a wife and two children would 
as well. Triples, but I it's play, all bliss. It's all bliss. Yeah, like, you know, but, but I play football. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. we, we go through the same sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and I wanted to show that, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a genuine, normal person just like everyone else. Mm. And um, I think that's what some people forget. They put footballs, you know, up on this pedestal a lot of the time. And, um, you know, there's just so much more that happens in our lives just than the 80 minutes. Absolutely, yeah. And and if and sometimes the fans don't get, often there's, there might be more important things than the foot, than that 80 minutes, right? And, and Definitely. It, I think that's quite interesting because obviously the fans have got every right to get, you know, all uptight and whatever. But, you know, I keep coming back to that, people first, you know, and we've yep. got yep. to respect that and honour that um, if we're, yeah, if we're really going to value football, I think, you know. Sweet, mate. You got another question for me or do you want me to move on to the fan questions? <laughs> We've got fan Well, they're only your fans. I've got no fans. <laughs> Let me tell you, man. I've got no fans. But, um, yeah, what, what fan questions have we got? This is cool. Yeah, so I put it up oh, like I usually do on my Instagram story yeah. where, you know, you can, people can send in a few questions and I've got a few here. But um, I'll start off with one from Jared.vn. What should the morning routine be to get yourself motivated for the day? Yeah, I think um, it's good to be motivated and it's good to, if in a real simple sense, to have a reason to get out of bed. So, you know, people who are driven typically have, you know, some l- big goal some big ambition that they you know want to strive towards and so knowing that that's why I'm getting out of bed and then being more specific about what it is you're going to do that day to move close to that goal so you know I remember listening to a podcast of yours a while back with Luke Lewis who spoke about um you know, having, I think he said he had a dream that he won the Clive Churchill medalist, yeah. but then, but more, more specifically, he then wrote that goal down and um, he would look at that goal every day, which would help him focus, um, you know, to, to, to uh, you know, go about his processes, go about what it is he was working towards. So whether it's a goal like that or even, you know, having um, a why, you know, so if you're really struggling, you know, thinking about the people in your life that you're doing things for, I think that can be quite useful just to, um, yeah, have that sense of why am I getting out of bed? Because getting out of bed and not having a reason to do so or a purpose, you can probably tolerate that for a while, you know, like when you're on holiday, for example, it's good to get out of bed and not have to do anything and not be, you know, racing off to do and just chill out. But any more than a few weeks, it's it, it's no good, you know. So being quite deliberate about finding something um, and then reminding yourself of that is is probably the way to go. All right, beautiful. Next question is from Ellie May Georgina. How do you kick yourself into gear when you're stuck in a rut with zero motivation? um well i guess to sort of circle back well what you know motivation's one of those things that um the best form of motivation comes from within the second best is sort of like a combination of majority what's within and then a little bit of extrinsic so you know a prize or a reward or a salary or whatever and then the worst kind of motivation is just when it's purely extrinsic so it's just you know I'm getting up I hate my job but at least I get paid for it so that said 
a little dose of extrinsic motivation when there's nothing else doing. So finding something that is, you know, can that could be the spark. But quickly, you want to try and uh, come back to what I was saying before about finding that intrinsic, the reason for getting out of bed. It's 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 hard because one of the things about being unmotivated is you can be unmotivated to find motivation. Right? You just become really. It becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy. So again, the fact. I mean, I don't know if. Um, Ellie there is talking about specifically she feels that at the moment but the fact if she does the fact she's been able to ask that question is a good start um, and so whether it's just the case of um, one of the things I often um, ask people to do when I'm working with them is just write just free write just get a blank piece of paper and just write okay. whatever's on your mind because it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to make sense. But you just keep writing for as long until you've got nothing else to write down and then sift through that and find what's important to you. Um, so, you know, questions like, um, you know, if you if you could do anything with your life, what would you do? And just write on that. If you, um, what would you score yourself out of, te- you know, out of 10? 10 out of 10 is you've, you wouldn't want to be doing anything else. One out of 10 is I'd rather be doing anything else. What would you score yourself? Okay, how do we move that up? What would we do to move you from a five to a six? And just write, because that piece of paper isn't going to criticize you. That piece of paper yeah. is not going to call you an idiot. Just write and then sift through it and see what you can find in there. Love that. I love that. All right, next question is from Life of Jaden. How did you get into your line of work? What path did you take? Yeah, right. Well, I've had a mad journey to doing what I'm doing. Honestly, right, just a couple of weeks back, I had to sort of like step back and go, seriously, like this is my life now. Um, (laughs) Now I'm I'm being deadly serious, you know, like um, so I actually, when I was a – 18, 19, 20, I was, I was playing a bit of footy myself, union and, and league, and I was playing some rep teams. I found myself at uh, Warrington Wolves for a short time, and I thought, you know, that could be it. But at the, uh, but underneath all that, I was training to be a PE teacher, and um, a combination of injuries and not being good enough um, at footy meant that, you know, PE teaching was where I started out. So I started teaching PE in Manchester in the UK, moved to Australia, um, did some more teaching PE, and then, bizarrely, um, I got a scholarship off the government to look at well-being and depression in education, right? And so they gave me a load of cash, and they said, you've got to go travel the world. And it sounds like I'm making this up, but it's dead set true. <laughs> this sounds like a movie. Yeah, it was. They said, Here's, so they gave me $15,000. And they said, you, can, you can't spend this in Australia. You have to go overseas, right? So I basically, and basically, you know, connect with people, go and see what's good, what, you know, what, what's useful and blah, blah, blah. So I went to the States. I went um, through the, back to the UK for a bit and checked out some interesting things going on there. And what, anyway, the point is, they say, when we give you this money, we want you to come back and share what you found. And so I would get up, I'd have to go and speak at conferences, I'd have to write. And I was talking all about well-being, mental health, um, motivation, mindset. And bizarre. so the, the, how I got into really what I'm doing now is I was talking about um, 
fixed and growth mindset. So why is it some people don't think they can improve and why is it other people have that relentless pursuit of improvement? And it just so happened that there was somebody from a big sporting organisation in the audience who I was talking to, they came up to speak to me and said, you know what, I know you're speaking about school kids and I know you're speaking about teaching, but so much of what you're saying is applicable in sport. And shortly after that, another bloke, who was in there said, I work at a big company, so much of that would be applicable to our, um, you know, yes. national leaders. And I was like, and I was like, seriously, mate, I'm a PE teacher, what do you mean? Right? But a bit like what you were saying before about taking that next step, it took me a while to get the confidence, but I was always ready to learn. And that's basically what happened. And then the NRL, so how do I end up with you? NRL sent me around, as you know, and yep. uh, Bomber, liked what I had to say. A few of the boys, I think, you know, seemed to resonate with the way I was saying it. And the yeah. rest, as they say, is is history. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that that was supposed to be the short version, but that was, I know it was pretty long. <laughs> no, that's, that's an awesome answer. All right, well, I've got uh, I've got one more fan question here from Spedding underscore Ryan. Uh, advice for somebody in a new leadership position, how to impress. <laughs> how to impress, okay. Mm. Don't. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I think um, the moment your motivation is to impress, you, you're gone because you can't control whether someone is impressed by you or not. What, rather, the the motivation should be to improve because if you show up every day trying to improve yourself, then you'll prove yourself without even trying. By trying to prove yourself every day, what ends up happening is you play it safe, you stick to your strengths in adverting commas, but remember what I said earlier, like if you're new to leadership, then the strengths that you have aren't the ones that you need to be developing. So um, actually the motivation should be to improve and one of the best ways that you can do that is ask. So it's to ask you know, um, people who you lead, things like, for example, um, Part of a leader, um, part of a leader's job is to give feedback regularly, um, but rarely do leaders ask how do people like getting feedback. So actually, going and asking the people you lead, how do you like to get feedback? If I'm going to give you some mm. bad feedback, how would you like to get that? Or, or constructive feedback is the more correct way. If I'm going to give you some constructive feedback, how would you like to receive that? If I'm going to praise something you've done, how would you like to receive that? Rather than just assuming. Um, that, you know, the blog post that I read on how to give feedback is going to work for this person. Because nothing impresses your bosses more than having a really cohesive, highly functioning team working with you. And I think feedback is one of those, um, it's one of those areas that um, is always a you know, a bone of contention. People try and avoid having difficult conversations. People try and avoid bringing up issues. And in the end, it just all comes out in a really less than ideal way. So just ask, ask people, what do you need from me? And and that for me is a real sign of strength. And it's a sign of someone who's, you know, got that level of humility. And it's got, if, if I meet someone like that, I know they're going to be successful. Beautiful, Dan. All right. Well, that, that's it, mate. All the questions done. Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Today. No worries, mate. Yeah, no, it's good. All the best with your calf as well. And uh, hopefully you're back on the park uh, sooner than later, mate. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Thanks very lot. Ho hopefully we get to catch up face to face soon once everything sort of settles down.
If you enjoyed that conversation, make sure you check out Chad's podcast, Talk of the Town. Um, you can find that anywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, if you enjoyed that conversation, please also remember to like the podcast, comment on the podcast, and of course, please subscribe to the podcast. Doing all those things just makes it that little bit easier for other people to find us. But until our next episode, thanks very much for tuning in. Take care. And take it easy.